It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Aha, ha, ha, ha. Yeah! What it do, baby? Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 765 of Locked on Raptors for Sunday, August the 16th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean, and you can find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Locked on Podcast Network as the NBA playoffs get going. All of the hosts of all the teams in the playoffs did crossover episodes with their counterpart hosts on the network. Of course, you uh, would have listened on Friday to my crossover with the guys Josh and Marcus of Locked on Nets. Please go listen to that if you haven't yet, and make sure you're checking out all of the crossover episodes heading into the first round lots of very interesting matchups and uh, all of our hosts have great local perspectives breaking them all down for you in crossover format all right on today's show it is a crossover of sorts here as well a crossover with the host of what i guess is supposed to be the sworn enemy of the podcast but is not because how could you how could how could you it's the host of this show is wonderful the show itself is wonderful the site that hosts this hosts it is wonderful as well it is of course samson folk of raptors republic and the raptors reaction podcast the raptors weekly podcast finally jumping on locked on raptors uh this this is uh new it's fun samson how are you man thanks for coming on the show yeah, I'm doing quite well. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to when you jump on over at Raptors Republic again. And mm-hmm. as far as the animosity between the two, I guess I came on too late. I, I didn't <laughs> know that there was a, uh, a competition between the two sites. But now, more entrenched and involved with RR, I, I do have a, a strong dislike for you now. This is, yeah. I think, how it's supposed to be. There's, like, there's a competitive angle here. Mm-hmm. There's contempt. There's a blood feud going on that dates back uh, decades between Raptors HQ and uh, the Locked On Raptors universe as well as the Raptors. There's not true. It's, I find that Raptors internet, and it's wonderful, is like the least competitive thing in the world. It's just like everyone's like, yeah, yeah, well, rising tides lift all boats. We all have great stuff for you. The American media will uh, cover your team horribly, but we've got a million options for you up here. And uh, you with the Raptors Weekly and Raptors Reaction Podcast are one of the very, very best options, far better than this one. Uh, So I appreciate you punching down and joining the podcast. Uh, Samson, on today's show, we're going to do a two-part episode. Actually, you're going to hear Sunday and Monday as we uh, drop a couple episodes before the Raptors start out with their series against the Nets. And my thinking here is we already did a Nets preview on Friday. And honestly, as much as the Nets are like kind of plucky and a little bit of have a bit of underdog spirit and all that stuff, I frankly am not very moved by this matchup. And I'm much more compelled by the conversation of what these entire 
playoffs are going to mean for the Raptors and what they're going to look like. So, Samson, on today's show, we are going to establish a fear index, a fear matrix, whatever it is, some sort of sliding scale on which we are going to rank things that scare us. In part one, we are going to uh, rank the teams in the Eastern Conference that could potentially come across the Raptors in the postseason at some point. We're going to start out with the Bucks, of course. We'll get the Celtics in segment two. And then the Sixers and Heat, both a little bit less likely to play the Raptors, it seems. We will hammer those two out in the final segment. And uh, the next episode, in part two, we are going to look at some internal things with the Raptors and sort of give a rating of how fearful we are of those things being the downfall of the Raptors in the postseason. And the scale on which we are measuring is a bit different. You know, I thought it was fun to sort of think back to all of the different iterations of the Raptors over the last six or seven years and try to find a scale that begins with, you know, a low level of fear as it relates to what the Raptors have gone through in the past and then a high level of fear at the top end of the spectrum. Uh, so basically our scale, Samson, ranks from at the bottom, game six against the Bucks in the conference finals as the least fearful. And the most fearful is game two of the 2018 second round against the Cavs and LeBron James in particular. That is the most fearful as uh, that was horrifying watching that dude just uh, bang threes over Serge Ibaka while spinning the ball and not seeming to care and just uh, putting on uh, a spectacle of a performance. And so... Everything in between is kind of up to us. We can put these things wherever we want on this ladder of fear. Again, I've used ladder, index, matrix, whatever we're calling it. Uh, but it's up to you, Samson, to, uh, to peg in each of these teams. Are you ready to dive into this? Yep. And you've clearly laid out the dichotomy of words we can use to describe this action. <laughs> so I feel very equipped going forward. Very, and- very equipped. Excellent. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's dive into the Milwaukee Bucks then, shall we? Obviously, uh, probably the scariest team if you are a Raptors fan thinking about the potential path to an NBA Finals. I mean, I guess we can start there. Samson, do you agree that the Bucks are the scariest team or did the insane blowout to the hands of the Boston Celtics uh, maybe kind of change your thinking there in terms of how these teams match up? Because there are certainly some things that the Celtics do that are a little bit scary. So we'll get into the Celtics in segment two, of course. But with the Bucks, are they the team that you and other Raptors fans should be afraid of the most? Or are you kind of going into this with a bit of arrogance considering recent events in the bubble and also last year when the Raptors uh, kind of coach circles, at least Nick Nurse coach circles around Mike Budenholzer Holzer and the Raptors won that series uh, winning the last four games. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about whether we should be scared or not, and especially someone who takes in media, because as of late, Raptors media, I think, has kind of marketed itself around slander and that of other teams, <laughs> and the Bucks have been, they've been getting all of the slander. So, you know, I have to come in and pretend that Chris Middleton isn't good, that Budenholzer isn't good that Giannis will not be good unless he's in a Raptors jersey. And then I think like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's easy. We're, we're repeating. But the, the truth be told, I think they're a fantastic team. Not quite game two LeBron level scared, but definitely looking at a team that is in an immense freight train that is tough to deal with led by Giannis. Mm-hmm. I know that they, I thought if they kept Brogdon, they would have been a shoe-in. Mind you, if the Raptors had been able to keep Kawhi, they would have been a shoe-in. But not having Brogdon, I think, is really interesting. And having to rely more on Bledsoe makes it, I think, very, very interesting, especially if we consider what happened last year with Bledsoe versus Mm -hmm. the Raptors. I talked about it with, you know, a few people. And if this guy goes two for 14, things start to get a little bit hairy for that team in Milwaukee. But if we're talking about scared, 
yes, I think that they should instill fear in the hearts of men, women, children, whoever else with their pointy antlers coming at you down the lane and this long Nigerian prince, Giannis Antetokounmpo, <laughs> come to dunk on you. Very, very scary team, definitely. They're, they're well accomplished. Yeah, I, I, again, I think you're totally on point when you mentioned the slander angle of Raptors media, in particular, like, you know, blogs and stuff like that. It is certainly something, and I, look, I don't blame Raptors fans for doing it. You're still in the championship sort of victory lap now. You get to laugh at the Bucks until you can't anymore, and I totally appreciate that. But yeah, this team's really freaking good, man. Like, Giannis is amazing. He's by far the best player in a series against the, against the Raptors and by far the best player in the Eastern Conference right now. It's not even a question. He's going to win MVP again. We know how good Giannis is. Chris Middleton's been amazing this season. I know we love to sort of go back to the DeMar DeRozan, Chris Middleton, uh, <laughs> like, hot debate of 2017 and 18 and still, you know, call him, like, Chris Bottomton and things like that. But he's been amazing. He's like a 50-40-90 shooter or just shy of that this year. He is uh, a problem. And, you know, the Raptors certainly have some guys they can throw at Middleton. But when you throw him at like the two and you have the size that the Bucks can throw out there if they really want to, things become pretty problematic for the Raptors. And yeah, I mean, yeah, Eric Bledsoe is like a sign of hope for sure, considering uh, his exploits and helping the Raptors get to where they got last season uh, and just sort of his propensity for disappearing in the postseason. But with the half-court defense the Bucks have, I'm not even so much worried about the offense because the Raptors, I think, can you know put a dent into any team's offense with their uh, really disciplined defensive rotations and their scheming and all of that. But the way the Bucks play defense, where they kind of dare you to take shots that are not kind of really part of the Raptors' shot chart right now, that gives me some pause. And, you know, had Pascal Siakam come out, and we're going to talk about Pascal on tomorrow's show, you know, had he come out and started knocking down mid-range jumpers after taking the, the hiatus to work on that, and, you know, he was shooting efficiently and scoring efficiently, then maybe, yeah, I would feel a little bit better about it. But I do think there is a high likelihood that the Raptors' half-court offense will sputter when you get into a, a series with the Bucks, as the Bucks will surely look to slow things down keep the Raptors from getting out on the run and you kind of coax them into playing half court. It's going to require a lot of kind of out of body experiences for a lot of these guys to score on that Bucks team and win four out of seven games for sure. And so because of that, because of sort of the riding high momentum people still feel, and I still feel frankly, after last year's playoff series, my level of fear for this one is like game five of the conference finals in 2016 where like you win those two games against the Cavs and you're like, hell yeah, they got this. Like they're going back. They're two games away from the finals. And then the Cavs kind of come out and you kind of knew there was some sort of explosion coming from them in game five. And they absolutely paced the Raptors and win that game and lock up the series uh, just about with that win as well. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of my level of fear right now. Like there's still that sort of happy go lucky optimism, but also the sort of encroaching doom of a, a better team kind of figuring things out and taking things seriously once and for all um did, is that kind of you think the right spot to zone them in here in terms of the level of fear yeah it certainly could be in terms of if you're predicting the series at least in a little bit because Giannis more emboldened than ever mm-hmm. and not quite at the the type of I guess presence where he's LeBron and has these crazy type of in-game exploits like the the fake drinking beer the spinning the ball while staring Serge Ibaka right in his well-manicured face and body and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think Giannis is the, you spoke about encroaching doom. And I think that is, we could get to that point where maybe he is a little bit too overwhelming 
Sands, Kawhi Leonard, mm-hmm. whether it's you're talking about the Raptors on offense or on defense, he was obviously a huge part of how the Raptors attacked them on both sides of the floor. And Giannis, provided that he keeps doing his thing, provided that the Bucks play their game, will be, you know, there's a reason they have the most impressive statistical resume in the league. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that they're the one seed and kind of sleepwalk to it is because they've been putting in the work. They play a really, really clever brand of basketball and they have great players to execute it. Can the Raptors respond in kind? Totally, but it'll everybody will have to be firing on all cylinders, which is rare for a playoff series. Mm-hmm. So yes, the the encroaching doom, the the afraid scale ladder uh, dichotomy, whatever we have going on here, <laughs> I, I rank pretty high against the Bucks. I if we have roundtables, we do at the Raptors Republic, and I doubt I would pick the Raptors in that series. So mm-hmm. as, as bad as that sounds, I very scared. Yes, very yeah. scared. And look, man, there's no harm in losing to the Bucks. Like there, there really is nothing to be ashamed about there if you're the Raptors. And my whole thinking with this is once you get past round one, assuming no disaster takes place there, you're kind of playing with house money anyway, considering what this regular season was in terms of the amount of joy that it inspired. And so we will talk about that potential round two opponent and leave the Bucks behind us in just a second. We're going to get to the Celtics. But first, I want to tell everybody about DoorDash. Hey, you got a lot of things going on. Even if you're working at home, you've got a bunch of conference calls. You've got to do laundry. You've got a million things to take care of, especially kids as well. You can give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. Maybe you want Chinese. Your kids want pizza. Someone wants Froyo. There's something for everyone on DoorDash. You can order it all at the same time continue supporting restaurants your community safely there are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on doordash that need your patron is now more than ever support your favorite restaurants on doordash you've counted on restaurants now they're counting on you and while their dining rooms may be closed they're still open for delivery and again doordash has you covered there with over 300,000 partners in the u.s puerto rico canada and australia you can support your go-to's Uh, or choose from your favorite national restaurants as well, like Chipotle or Wendy's or the Cheesecake Factory, whatever it may be. And DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep communities we operate in safe as well. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and $0 in delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off and your zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's the code LOCKEDONNBA for five bucks off your first order with DoorDash. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, Samson, let's dive into the Boston Celtics, the team that probably had their fear level increased more than any other team during this uh, bubble, considering they were the one loss on the Raptors resume over the course of the eight games. And there were certainly some matchup things that were like, huh, maybe this is not going to be the cakewalk that it kind of seemed considering the, you know, the matchup so like I think the more the thing with the Raptors in that matchup is they're more diverse. They have different lineups they can go to that could potentially put the Celtics on their heels in the way Boston can't really, considering they have like six guys that you actually trust. 
But those six guys are really damn good. Samson, where do the Celtics slot in on the fear hierarchy, to throw in another word for it, that we are uh, sort of putting together here? Yeah, very, very high. Maybe even the highest. If we're talking about basketball in a vacuum, I don't think they're better than the Bucks or scarier than the Bucks. However, the optics of the series, I think just the there is slights that have been made on both sides when, in regards to both teams, the Celtics and the Raptors. It feels like we've been winding up to this series for a very long time, whether it was the Isaiah Thomas Celtics, the Kyrie Irving Celtics, the Raptors never got a chance to hammer them in the playoffs. And I think we're all waiting for this because for some reason, nobody likes Boston. Toronto fits <laughs> snugly in that group as well. So to lose against that team would be devastating. It feels like losing to barstool sports and that <laughs> I just couldn't handle it. So that's the problem, right? Is Boston as a team, the Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Daniel Tice, Kemba Walker, a lot of super likable players who are also very good. As you said, the top six, super impressive. Grant Williams, another cool guy, but man, to lose to that team just because of the optics of losing to Boston, super heartbreaking. Uh, maybe like game three, Kyle Lowry is fouled out type of, you know, <laughs> against the Bucks like that. I have anxiety about that series. I, I don't want them to lose that one. No. And look, I think we're going to get to the Sixers in a sec. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they beat Philly. Um, you know, Joel Embiid, we saw very much in the playoffs last year, can kind of win a series on his own, even when he has gastroenteritis. <laughs> like, he's, he's a problem, and they don't really have a solution for him. And, it, I mean, it's going to come down to their ability to sort of, you know, hedge and all that stuff and, and, you know, properly dig down and all that when he decides to pass out of the post or he decides to go to work on Daniel Tice, whatever it is. Like, that is going to be kind of the key fulcrum of that series. So I'm not saying it's a guarantee. That said, this is a pretty likely second-round matchup for the Raptors. I think Boston is the better team than Philly. And they have a lot of very dangerous horses who there's no one really to guard anymore. <laughs> like, that. Ben Simmons would have been the guy for Tatum or Jalen Brown if he's hot or throw him on Kimba Walker to cut off the head of the offense. That doesn't exist anymore for Philly. And so we are likely to see Boston in round two if it is, uh, if the Raptors do in fact get past the Brooklyn Nets as well, which I'm sure they will. The Brooklyn Nets are not very good. And that's why we're overlooking them very much on this podcast. Anyway, um, I'm, so the certain matchup things are, are definitely scary. The fact that Boston can slow things down and run an ISO heavy attack where it kind of limits the amount of, you know, the Raptors able to being able to do the things that they do so well, where they can send extra help, they can rotate. There's not a lot of opportunities for that because the Celtics don't invite or don't have to invite extra defenders to the party, but, and they can just kind of ISO and run a, a Kemba Walker or a Jalen Brown or a Gordon Hayward. I, like they just have, those very good one-on-one -on -one scorers that most teams in the Eastern Conference don't really have outside of maybe like one central guy in the case of Giannis for the Bucks, And so that's a problem. They are a very good half-court defense and similar to the Bucks, Like that is going to be the bugaboo for the Raptors. If something takes them down, I think it'll be their inability in the score in the half-court. And we saw that very much in that game last week. The Celtics can switch everything. They can play Marcus Smart at center, and that's not really taking much away from what they can do. Where the sort of fear dissipates for me a bit is that kind of what I mentioned earlier. I think the Raptors have much more versatility in terms of the lineups they can throw out. They can potentially put Boston on their heels with some big looks. Um, if they feel like they can survive with, you know, maybe Serge Ibaka at, at the four and you feel like you can get by there, I, I think that could be a problem for Boston as Daniel Tice is 
good, but I don't think good enough or just like physical or big enough to out rebound and out sort of muscle guys like Abaka and Gasol if they're in that four five and you have Siakam on the wing. I don't necessarily think they have anyone who can guard Siakam super well when he's playing at his best. I mean, Jason Tatum's their best shot, but I don't think he's quite big enough. I don't think he's quite strong enough. And I know he's improved quite a bit as a defender this season, but he's not of the sort of Jonathan Isaac, Bam Adebayo tier of guys who really scare me when it comes to guarding Pascal. And so if I'm thinking about this Celtics team and how scared of them I am, it's certainly fear and, you know, potentially kind of franchise altering fear, but I don't think it's it's kind of like a coin flippy thing right and you know how scary can you be about a 50 50 chance of something being positive maybe you're terrified I don't know so the way I kind of view it is game seven against the heat in 2016 they had home court felt like they were going to win that but things could have gone awry and things could have completely changed in terms of the course of the franchise from there did they lose that game and so that's kind of where I come out I also think Kyle Lowry if we're going to continue the analogy Lowry has a chance to be very good in this series. He was great against Boston uh, this season, uh, in particular that second game in Christmas week when they pulled off the revenge win in Boston. I don't think Kemba Walker can guard him particularly well. I don't know if we'll see a ton of Fred sort of in crunch time and stuff in the series because I do think the size might be an issue for him as we saw in that matchup uh, during the bubble. And so it might be kind of on Kyle to run the show here. And I think he can do it very well. He's an excellent player. He always plays well against Boston. And I think there's uh, if you're looking for things to calm your nerves about this series, Kyle Lowry is kind of the thing for me in addition to the versatility the Raptors have in terms of the lineups they have. What say you to all of that, Samson? Um, I agree with most of it. Definitely Kyle uh, has a, a large opportunity to take the reins of this series, of course. I'm not sure about Fred not getting crunch time minutes because mm-hmm. he's been Kemba Walker's primary for so long. Mm-hmm. I know heading into last game, I know Kemba shot like 6 of 14. But before that, uh, Fred was his most qualitative and quantitative defender on the year per NBA.com. So take right. the matchup stuff in, in stride. But he was 3 of 19. Um, against Fred up until last game. So mm-hmm. he's, he's a very, very good defensive matchup. Uh, you citing tall ball as something the Raptors could do, something I definitely agree with. We could see surge at the four, mark at the five. As we saw in the last game, the Raptors really had a tough time with that half-court offense, as you mentioned, getting stuck above the break, not able to get any downhill action for the first portion of the game. They went to the corner offense with Gasol to try and get some curls for Powell or curls to the rim for Siakam. Kyle Lowry coming, you know, canning, balling into the lane. All that stuff's super important. They have a very versatile offense and what they can provide. They just don't do any one thing at a super high percentile. The Raptors kind of mirror Siakam in that way. So the constant mixing up, the constant versatility and making the right calls and the right reads is a huge part of what the Raptors do. So if they're on their game, that versatility and being able to switch up against the the Celtics defense that's going to be the key for them going forward because they don't just rarely do. They just have a play type that they go to that kills that they run all game. They don't have Mm -hmm. Damian Lillard in the pick and roll. Although Kyle is good. They just, for some reason, they don't run that option very much. But I think like the things you highlighted for the most part are the most important. Those are the pillars of this series. And if I had to put a prediction out, I would say, I do think the Raptors win. Although I have anxiety about losing to Celtics because they're just so, unlikable as as a group mm-hmm. but individually there's a lot of likable people but you know as you said i think the raptors will probably take this it's the heat game seven type of thing 
Yeah, I'm frankly disgusted by how much I enjoy so many of these Celtics players. It's really annoying. I wish Jalen Brown would stop being so damn cool. <laughs> it's uh, he's the best. It's a problem. He's the best. Yeah, uh, we're gonna continue on and talk about the last two teams that kind of matter in terms of the Eastern Conference in the Heat and the Sixers in just a second. But first, I want to tell everybody about Built Bar, which is back, baby, and they have some new flavors for you to try. They've got caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp joining the roster of excellent flavors and of course built bar is the best tasting protein bar you are ever going to try they're covered in 100 chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew you don't get that sandy or gritty texture that a lot of other protein bars give you they are great for the health conscious person as well lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat bars are low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber and they're great for keto diets as well you've got peanut butter for example with 19 grams of protein 180 calories five grams of sugar and five grams of net carbs you've got the brand new uh, Cherry Barcia, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. And on the whole, Cliff Bars, or sorry, Built Bars have seven times less sugar than Cliff Bars. That is important to note. They're far healthier in terms of protein bar options. And right now, you're also going to get a free cooler with your purchase of Built Bars. While supplies last, probably for the next week or so, so get on it. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON. You're going to get $10 off your next order as well as a free cooler with the promo code LOCKEDON for $10, again, off at BuiltBar.com. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right, Samson, let's uh, finish this thing off and talk heat and Sixers. Uh, let's start with the Sixers because they're the more likely matchup in round two. The heat would have to be a conference finals matchup. I am not afraid of the Heat. We'll get to them in a sec, but I don't think we're going to see that matchup so we can leave them for the end. The Sixers very well could be Boston. Again, probably like 70-30 leaning towards Boston right now, but Joel Embiid freaks the hell out of me, and he should freak the hell out of everybody. He destroys the Celtics, has all year, and he could very well have a superhuman performance for six or seven games here and pull out a series win, not counting that out by any means. And the team kind of fits a little bit better around him if it's just him and shooters. You know, they lose some defense, obviously, without Simmons, a lot of defense without Simmons, but the offense might become a little bit more potent, which has been one of the Achilles heels of that team. So, Samson, how afraid are you if the Raptors come across the Sixers in round two? Less afraid than the Celtics, but more afraid than I would be of the Heat. As you said, Joel Embiid is a world-ending presence on the court, and any Raptors fan who would deny that it didn't watch the playoffs last year. This dude was an absolute wrecking ball, even when he was hardly capable of motion. It's just his, his sizable presence on the court. It deems the Raptors like they can't score. 
and it completely rendered their offense useless. So as far as scared, I mean, I don't have a game in mind, but very, very scared. I know this, that ruins the, the effects of the, the episode, <laughs> but uh, yes, very scared, but also I think they'd win. But mm-hmm. as far as Embiid's presence, pretty scary, dude. Yeah. My, so my sort of game analogy in terms of the fear level is like after game five of the East, East semifinals last year, where it was like, yeah, the Raptors are probably the better team here for sure. And, you know, they're up three, two, things feel pretty good. But when you look at like the plus minus numbers of Embiid, you're like, hmm, something could go wrong here. And they could very well lose this series if things fall the, the right way for Philly. And, you know, Embiid stops having stomach problems and, and starts feeling a little bit better. And so that's, you know, it's easy to make a Sixers analogy when Embiid is involved. But I, I still do feel like the Raptors are the better team, especially without Simmons. If Simmons were there, the half-court offense thing would become a uh, much more pressing concern for me. And obviously it still is with Embiid because he is just like a defense unto himself. And you can see the way he deters drivers away. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's Embiid. I'm going to go just uh, take it out here and reset because he's horrifying. But I do think without Simmons, there's not really an obvious guy to guard Siakam because last year they put Embiid on him and that was useful and effective and Siakam was kind of thrown out of his rhythm for sure after a great game one. But when you think about the way Siakam has changed his shot profile, I don't really think you can guard guard him the same way the Sixers did last year. First of all, he's the number one option. He's not sort of a second or third guy who's, you know, working off of Kawhi. And also he's bombing threes from above the break and he's running pick and rolls and he is, you know, far more dynamic in terms of his offense. And I think you can't really have Embiid just track so far away from the basket to worry about Siakam. So you end up probably having like Tobias Harris guard him or maybe Al Horford. And I think that is a matchup that Pascal Siakam will be much happier with. Obviously, when it, with Embiid still looming at the rim, everything still is fraught with all sorts of potential to go wrong. But I, I think the lack of Simmons, assuming he's not back by then, we don't really know, I guess, that he could be back, I suppose. But seems unlikely considering the condensed schedule we're working with here. We're like two weeks away from that series taking place. Um, so yeah, I would say it's game five after the, or after game five going into game six of last year's second round. Um, have you any sort of lingering thoughts on the Sixers here or we should move on to the heat? Uh, yeah, a couple of thoughts as far as the Siaka matchup, Horford actually guarded him a lot this year. Simmons was the, the most he, just because that Siakam piece I wrote where I went through all of his matchups, mm-hmm. Horford did guard him a lot. And both Horford and Simmons were really lazy with screen plays that involved Siakam. Mm-hmm. And Siakam against the 76ers for some reason this year missed a lot of open threes. We're talking open pull-ups where the guys drop low, um, open corner threes where he's the result of you know this side-top-side action. And so he wasn't able to punish the team in that way, but I don't think that's something they can count on recreating just because of quote-unquote defense and when Horford was involved in like a downhill action one of Embiid or Simmons was always there so while Horford did have pretty good numbers guarding him this year not having Simmons I think will be very bad for their defense and as you said Embiid he's uh he's great and he can punish the Raptors and all that kind of stuff but I think Siakam just to add a little bit more context to what you're saying I think there's a lot of possibility there for him to take large strides offensively if we do get that series but otherwise yeah well, actually, I'd like to see if the 76ers want to play better, more dribble handoff stuff with Josh mm-hmm. Richardson and uh, Joel Embiid. But otherwise, pretty well. Yeah, I feel good about that. Yeah, 
All right, uh, we move on to the Heat. And speaking of dribble handoffs, uh, it's a team that likes to do that quite a bit with Duncan Robinson and Bam Adebayo. And you've got uh, Jimmy Butler, obviously, who's uh, a menace and uh, pretty terrifying in a playoff situation, as well as Raptors fans are well acquainted with. I still, Samson, I know a lot of people love the Heat. I know a lot of people think they're very good. There's the whole, hey, maybe they can beat the Bucks thing because they have guys who can guard them. I don't buy it at all with the no, Heat. Man. I really don't. <laughs> like, they are a team that, I've, I've made this point before, and I think it still holds true. They're a team that can't put out a perfect five-man lineup because they're always giving up something, either it's shooting or it's defense. They don't have perfect players to mesh together, and the fact that their two best players are both non-shooters is a big reason for that. Obviously, you keep Butler and Adebayo on the floor at all times, if you can, when it matters most, but it just it feels like those two kind of hamstring them a little bit, and until Bam can kind of stretch things out a little bit, I think that's always going to be a bit of a, a sort of limiter of their ceiling. And, you know, I know everyone's like, hey, Duncan Robinson, pretty good defender. Hey, you know, Tyler Hero tries hard. But I, I don't really buy into the whole idea of rookies in huge roles having much success in the postseason. And I really don't buy into the idea of teams that have, you know, just like very clear squeaky wheels when you put out a five-man lineup, no matter what iteration it is. I, you know, I know the BAM at center things makes things a little bit easier, but it doesn't make it all that much better. And we saw the Raptors, I think, they can defend the hell out of the heat. I think they did a really good job with Duncan Robinson and Adebayo in that two-man game. And I think overall, also considering the fact that the Heat have no ability to guard point guards ever, I don't find it to be a scary matchup considering the Raptors have two top 12-ish point guards in the entire league to throw at Goran Dragic and you know Kendrick Nunn and whoever Jimmy Butler is not guarding because I would assume he would take one of those two. It just it does not feel like a matchup that uh, Raptors fans should be all that scared about. Do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. I have not been high on the Heat at all. Not to, I know it's an overused term, but what well, they're not fraudulent. Like they're a good team. They earned their stripes. Spolstra, I think a lot of his decision making is inspired. The way that they organize themselves and play is super smart because they have Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, who are basketball players in the most pure sense. You know, they they shoot a little bit from the mid range. Jimmy, his floor game is almost unparalleled. His ability to draw fouls, get in the middle of the lane, and just stir things up for the defense, set screens, work off ball, defend, rebound, bam at a bio, playmake. They both do a bunch of that stuff, but the heat out of necessity have surrounded them with specialists, which means that they're so overly dependent on those two's creation that they don't have any versatility to their offense, which is something, as we've seen with championship teams, there has to be something you can go to as a, a tertiary option. You need two or three options sitting outside your main guys that you can kind of go to for a little while. That's why Norman Powell pin down actions are such a big deal. That's why the split action with Marcus Gasol is such a big deal. That's why the Warriors didn't just run pick and roll when they were the dynasty because they wanted to be read and reaction. They wanted to have secondary third options type stuff. And the Heat, even though they're good, even though Duncan Robinson is a better defender than he gets credit for, even though they could, you know, put Goran Dragic in the starting lineup and play him 34 minutes a game and probably beef up that, like, that unit. I just think there's not a lot they can do. They're already maximizing so much of their team, which has been good, and it's made them a better team. I just think they don't have much in the way of, like, cards up their sleeve in the playoff. I think uh, you're right on the head of the nail there. Yeah, to uh, complete the thematic 
line through this podcast, I think I would put the fear level uh, of the Miami Heat at like uh, what we were feeling maybe after like game two or game three or maybe game four of the series against the Bucks in 2017 where it's like, oh, that's a cute team. They're pretty good, a little bit frisky, but like ultimately the Raptors should beat this team even if the Raptors are kind of underperforming a little bit. I, I think that is sort of where I would slot them in. Do you have uh, a different option than that? Um, whatever game was simplest and easiest from the series against Orlando. <laughs> game three or four, once everything was kind of figured out. I like I like the Heat. I think Jimmy's one of the coolest dudes in the league. Same with Bam. Duncan Robinson, the thing he said about Fred Van Vliet, where he was tr- like talking trash and was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, please, no, Fred, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think was a nice level of self-awareness that a lot of NBA players probably have, but don't often admit to in interviews. So that's all fun. Goran Dragic is a weasel but a good at basketball weasel. So, and I'm also like a left-handed point guard. So I'm supposed to like him, I think, but I don't, but he's, you know, he's a hell of a player. I guess uh, Kelly Olenek, I used to work with his sister. So I guess uh, he's kind of nice, but also maybe a little bit of a weasel too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they, they don't really scare me. They, they're not instilling fear in my heart less than the, well, of the four, definitely the least I would say. Yeah. By the way, Kelly Olenek, I wouldn't say is as much a weasel as he is like a, a very uncoordinated, freshly born wildebeest who just like doesn't really know what yeah. he's doing with his limbs. And that tends to maybe lead to bad things taking place. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad that we're in agreement here on the heat because I, I just don't see it there. Uh, that's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. We're going to come back for part two on Monday morning. Samson, thanks so much for coming on, man. This was great. Uh, we're going to do two episodes, but I'll still ask you to plug your stuff at the end of both episodes. So plug away. Um, if you're listening to my voice, ca- <laughs> voice crack prior to this little <laughs> plug, uh, thank you for tuning in to this. Thanks for enjoying Sean's stuff. He's, uh, he's fantastic. But for me, I think uh, you can subscribe to Minute Basketball, which is the newsletter. It's NBA-wide that I do with Lewis Asman, in which we pick a, a theme for a week. So last week, it was astronomy. Week before, your own worst enemy. Week before, chaos. And I think we have a very interesting way to tie in the themes to what we're writing about in basketball. That's really good. And if you want to read or listen to anything I do, just go to raptorsrepublic.com. I do a lot of stuff over there. So, yeah, thanks for the thanks for the plug, Sean. Of course, man. Uh, we'll talk to you again on Monday, or if we're recording in real time, uh, in two minutes we'll be talking again. Uh, so thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. We will uh, get you back on Monday with an episode breaking down some of the internal things inside the Raptors that perhaps we are maybe a little bit concerned about, or uh, maybe they aren't concerning maybe they don't inspire any fear we will get to that and so much more on monday's episode of the podcast uh, just a heads up of what's to come later in the week katie heindel and james herbert are going to do the post-game podcast after game one on monday that'll drop tuesday morning and then uh, katie and vivek will be filling in for me a couple days as well as i continue my pseudo vacation before totally unplugging at a very opportune time in the second week of uh the the first round which maybe the raptors will be all finished with then and i won't feel bad for missing games either way We'll talk about that uh, and we'll get into all that as the week rolls on. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Monday with another episode of Locked On Raptors.
Hey Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.